0: I want to start today by recounting a, um, uh, a little anecdote that I experienced this week uh, a couple days ago, actually. I was on my way out the door, and um, it was in the morning, and my wife, was uh, Rebecca, was getting ready to make the bed. And so on my way out, she says, hey, babe, um, would you mind to just come and help me make the bed? So um, I really don't like to make the bed. And uh, I I, I was kind of in a hurry, so I I said, well, um," I said, okay, I'm I'm trying to get out the door. And then I made a strategic mistake, and I just, this is a little husband tip for all you husbands out there. I said, I strategically erred when I said, and besides, you like to make the bed. Now, that was not the right thing to say in that moment, and I realized the error of my strategy immediately because my wife turns to me and she said, no, I don't like to make the bed. I just like a made bed. And that was right, like that moment, I'm like, oh, wow. She's, and she knew she had me in that moment. She knew. So like any good orator, she doubled down. She brought me another illustration. She said, in fact, I don't like cleaning the house. I just like a clean house. And so I said, I got to use that in my sermon this week. Excuse me, went, wrote it down, came back and dutifully helped my wife to make the bed. Now, the reality is this, and I think you and I and all of us uh, have experienced this. Most of us don't necessarily like to do the right thing, but we do like the right results. We don't like to do the things that would make a situation right, but we do like the right outcome. None of us like to save money, but all of us like a savings account. We don't like to exercise, but we like to be fit. We don't like to do the work, but we like the work to be done. This morning, as we launch part three of Promised Land, uh, we find a man who does not want to do what God wants him to do. Moses is being being confronted by God, and God is saying, Moses, I want you to go down to Egypt, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses wants his people to be free, but he doesn't want to be the one to do it. He doesn't want to liberate his people. He just wants his people to be liberated. And the truth is this for you and me today. If we want to experience the life that God desires, we have to be willing to do the work that God requires. If we want to experience the life that God and we desire, that means we have to do the work that God requires, if you want uh, to experience the relationship that God wants for you, if you want to experience uh, the the family uh, or, or the friendships that God wants for you, the career, the finances, the mental health, the emotional health, if you want to experience a church, a healthy church community, a healthy city, if you want to experience a country that is the way you desire and God desires, that means we have to do the work that God Requires. So I want to dive in today to Exodus chapter 3, and I want to just stay in this moment with uh, Moses and God when God is calling Moses to step out and do what he requires in order for the outcome that God desires to take place. Exodus 3, verse 2 says this The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the fire, the, the, the fire did not consume the bush. The bush was not consumed. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. God's calling him by name. He's saying his name. He's calling him repeatedly. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And The scripture says Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. He was afraid to look upon God. Today, I want to preach for the next few moments on the subject, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we do, we take, take off our, our shoes before you as we come before you, and, and we open our hearts, and, and we are vulnerable and, uh, and humble before you. We bow our life to you. We bow our hearts and minds to you. We ask God that your word would uh, rain down upon us and, and, and strengthen us and empower us. Uh, crush the parts of us that need to be crushed and burn those parts away that we might uh, live out the the brightness and the beauty of who you are. Father, we praise you. We love you. We honor you. And we ask that your spirit would descend upon each and every one of us here in this house and in all of the homes and, 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 and cars and places of business where this a sermon is being broadcast. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This week as our Nation continues to reel from the fallout of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol building. I have been looking up different pastors that I know and pastors that I don't know but that I respect uh, and and trying to glean from them uh, and trying to understand from them how they are leading and pastoring their congregations through this horribly fraught time. This week, I came across a sermon of a pastor that I love and that I admire. I don't, I, I don't know him personally. I've ne- actually never met him, but I have always admired his ministry from afar. And I watched in this sermon as this pastor struggled in the pulpit to address the issue that is on everybody's mind. You see, this pastor's congregation is similar to our congregation. It's a multi-ethnic congregation it's a group of people from every race tribe and tongue from every political persuasion from different levels of education different levels of income different perspectives and he wanted in this sermon you could feel it so badly to preach a sermon of unity but he knew like all of us know that a prerequisite for unity is truth we cannot be unified around falsehoods, we can only be unified if the truth is proclaimed. And I watched as this pastor spoke, and I was struck by what I saw and heard as he spoke, because as he is speaking, I'm watching, and his body is stiff and rigid in the pulpit. His throat is constricted so that the words are barely able to come out. His mouth was dry. He kept stopping and swallowing and licking his lips in order to, to, to get over the nerves and the, and the anxiety. And it struck me what was happening in that moment for this pastor. It struck me that my brother in the Lord, who has been tasked with preaching the truth to his congregation, was finding himself nearly paralyzed with fear. Paralyzed with fear. And the longer I watched, the more it became clear to me, that he was afraid to speak even the most basic truths, truths that should not be controversial, truths that every follower of Jesus who cares about truth should be able to agree on, irrespective of one's political party, truths that I covered last week, truths such as that the attack on our capital was wicked and evil and wrong, and that that, that attack was precipitated by false statements by our president and others about the integrity of our election. And that as followers of Jesus, whether we are politically right or politically left or politically center, we must always stand up for the truth. These statements ought not to be difficult to say. They ought not to be difficult to hear. But the truth is, the pastor that I watched this week could not bring himself to say these basic truths. Even though I know that he knows them to be true. He could not bring himself to say them because of fear. There's an old song we used to sing growing up, which I will not sing, uh, but I will quote it out of Psalm 27. The lyrics say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I love that song because that song and that psalm bursts with confidence. It's a psalm of courage. It's a psalm of boldness. It's a song of strength. It's a song that reminds us of the ideal disposition and the ideal orientation of our heart towards God. It is a song that provides a stark contrast to the current condition of our age because we live in an age of fear. We live in an era of anxiety, in an epoch, Of uncertainty and a generation of mistrust and suspicion. You can see it in the eyes of the stranger on the street. You can hear it in the voice of the news anchor. You can read it in the hastily written posts of your friends online. You can smell it in the air. We are living in a time of fear and trembling. Our speech is halted, our voices are muted. The collective gate of our souls is bent and stooped. We are a fearful people. Our politics, our media, our social media platforms, our our, our public conversations, and our private thoughts are often sprinkled and sometimes even soaked in fear. I would propose to you today that the receptivity we have seen by so many followers of Jesus to the lies and the conspiracy theories that have circulated and infiltrated the body of Christ is not simply the result of malice, not simply the result of pride, not simply the result of bigotry and white supremacy, although all of those are undoubtedly factors. But underneath all of those factors is a single toxic substance, the nature of which all of us have felt All of us have experienced ourselves. It is the paralyzing and debilitating force of fear. The fear of not mattering. The fear of not counting. The fear of not measuring up. The fear of irrelevance. The fear of purposelessness. The fear of emptiness and aloneness and inadequacy. The fear of being discounted and discarded. Beneath the symbols of hatred, the noose, the Confederate flag, the violent chants that we saw lurks an indescribably powerful and paralyzing force, the force of fear, and no one, no one is immune to fear. Now, let's take it out of the big picture. Let's break it down to you. You know what it's like to fear, the fear for your job, your house, Your health, your spouse, your children, your parents, your future, your finances, your safety, your reputation, your home, your mind, your life. We all know what it's like to find ourselves locked in the grip of fear. So the question is this. The moment of reckoning in the church of Jesus Christ around the world is this. What are people of faith supposed to do in an era of fear? As I read the story of Moses at the foot of the mountain, I see a a beautiful picture of the way God draws even a fearful person into his divine purpose. When you read about Moses, you realize that Moses was a fearful man. But as you read closer you see that Moses didn't have simply a generalized fear. He had a specific kind of fear. In fact, as you read the text closely, and I've never noticed this before, but it just jumped out at me this week. As you read the story of Moses closely, you see that his fears were related to the ways that he would be perceived by three different groups of people. He was afraid Of people, and it was three distinct groups. I want to write it down for you. He was afraid of the retribution of his enemies. That's number one. He was afraid of the rejection of his friends. That's number two. And he was afraid of the reaction of strangers. That's number three. Moses was afraid to do what God wanted him to do because he was afraid of the retribution of his enemies, the rejection of his friends, and the reaction of his enemies. Of strangers. Let me take you into Exodus 3, verse 11. This line tells us who he's afraid of. Verse 11 says this. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Notice in this moment, he's comparing himself to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is Moses' enemy, and for good reason. The prior Pharaoh had tried to uh, kill Moses when Moses had committed a crime and then Moses ran for 40 years and hid. So Moses is afraid of his enemy. Let me ask you this. Who's your enemy? If you're on the right, maybe it's somebody on the left. If you're on the left, maybe it's somebody on the right. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your ex. Maybe it's your mother-in-law or your father-in-law. Maybe it's the spouse of your child. Who is your enemy? Because many of us are paralyzed by the fear that our enemies will retaliate against us. Second fear is the rejection of our friends. This might even be a greater fear. Exodus chapter four, verse one, watch this. God God says to Moses, I want you to go tell them what I'm telling you. Go talk to the Israelites. Go talk to the elders of Israel. Go talk to your people. Moses says, suppose they will not believe me. They, meaning his people, his friends, the other Israelites. Suppose they will not believe me or listen to me. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Notice that he's not only afraid of the retribution of his enemies, he's afraid of the rejection of his friends. What if they won't believe me? What if they don't like what I have to say? What if they say I haven't heard from God? What if they say I'm crazy? He's worried and afraid about the rejection of his Friends, how many of you are afraid, genuinely, honestly afraid to speak candidly with someone you love for fear that you will be misunderstood, rejected, dejected, alienated, or ostracized? It's a legitimate fear. Nobody likes to hear something that doesn't comply with their preconceived ideas. I don't like it when my friends tell me things that I don't want to hear. I don't like it, but I'm grateful for it because the truth will set you free. Number three, the third category is the catch-all category for Moses. Exodus 4, verse 10. He says, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. I'm I'm slow of tongue. Verse 13, oh, my Lord, please sin by the hand of whomever else you may sin. In other words, I'm just afraid of the reaction of strangers. I don't talk right. I don't speak right, I'm not qualified, I don't know what people are going to think about me, I, I'm afraid of all of these, all of these people, the, the enemies, the friends, and the strangers. In this conversation, this argument with God, Moses expresses all three of these fears. I would submit to you that every single one of you listening and watching this sermon today is afraid of At least to some degree of all three of these possible outcomes. The retribution of your enemies, the rejection by your friends, and the reaction of strangers. So how does God draw Moses out of the fear, out of the grip of fear, and into the divine power of his purpose? How does, at the foot of the mountain, God begin to burn away the fear in the heart of Moses? I want to show you how he does it, because... If he did it for Moses, he can do it for you. I want to draw your attention to the last sentence in the passage, Exodus uh, first at 3 and 5, and then, um, and then we're going to go down to 6. God turns to Moses, and he says, God, Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Notice how Moses responds. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look upon God. Here's what I want you to get. This is, this is so important for you to understand. If you want to have courage, this is so important for you to get. It's deep, and it's powerful, and it's fundamental to being able to have courage as a man or woman of God. Here it is. When you fear the one you can face the many. When you fear the one, you can face the many. Let me illustrate this for you. If I'm walking in the woods and I see someone walking towards me down the trail and it is a scary looking person and I see that person walking towards me and they've got a weird look on their face and I I could just, they freak me out. What I want to do in that moment is I want to turn around I want to walk the other way because I'm scared of that person. If I turn around and walk the other way and I see a 10-foot grizzly bear with teeth shining in the sun lumbering down the path towards me, suddenly my fear of weird-looking dude is melting away because there's a greater fear behind me. I will run past Weird guy, I will run over. Weird guy, I will be moving on because there is a greater fear that causes that fear to diminish by comparison. It's not a perfect analogy, but I want you to get something. Courage does not arise from the absence of fear for children of God. Courage arises in the hearts of believers when our hearts are overwhelmed, our minds are flooded by the awesome, terrible, wonderful, beautiful, majestic, gleaming brilliance of the power of God. What happened to Moses on that mountain can happen to any of us and needs to happen to all of us when we begin to recognize the awesome power of God, our fear of our enemies, our fear of our friends, and our fear of strangers begins to fade by comparison. What happened to him is that he came face to face with God in that moment. And in that moment, Moses recognized the sheer immensity, the unimaginable brightness, the, un- the unbearable heat, and the terrifying power of Almighty God. And his reaction to hearing the voice of God tells us that the experience struck him in the very heart of his being. The scripture says he hid his face because he was afraid To look upon God. Some people see that passage and they go, man, why was he afraid? He shouldn't have been afraid. That's completely missing the point. Yes, he should have been afraid. Because in this moment, God is trying to help Moses to overcome his fear of Pharaoh and his fear of friends and his fear of strangers by allowing Moses to get a taste of the fear of God. The fear of the Lord. Because when our hearts get a taste of the deep respect, awe, awe, wonder, astonishment and fear of God, all of the other fears in our life begin to melt away. This is something that I deeply believe is missing in a large large parts of the of the American church. Because here's what we know and here's what we all believe. We believe that our God is a good God and that he's a just God and a loving God and a merciful God and a God of grace and beauty. We all believe that, and that is true. But do not mistake him for a weak God. Do not mistake him for a safe God, a soft God, a fragile, frail, delicate, irresolute God. God is a God of justice. God is a God of righteousness. God is a God of might and power. He is a jealous God meaning that he does not want your soul bowing down to anything other than him. When another figure in the Bible, a man by the name of Job, began to question God's power and God's justice, God's response may shock you. I'm going to read you an extended part of the response that God gave to Job. Here's what God said. Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea? Have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deep darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this, Job. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth, Job? Can your voice... Raise to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water. Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Brace yourself like a man, he says. I will question you and you will answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can you voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself, Job. With glory and splendor, clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of the wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself, God says, will admit to you that you, that your own right hand can save you. In case it's not clear, God is saying to Job in this moment, I am God and you are not. Here's where we get our courage, church. We get our courage when we begin to recognize the immensity and the power and the awesome might of God. And it begins to resonate deeply in our hearts and in our souls. God is saying to us in this passage, your orientation to me your heart's orientation should be love, yes, honor, respect, awe, and fear. Proverbs 1 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 8 The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Proverbs 14 The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 19 The fear of the Lord leads to life. Psalm 33 8 Let all the earth fear the Lord. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. And then even Jesus himself says this in, in, in Matthew 10, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I believe that the church has gone too far in downplaying the fear of God. It is true that when the Bible talks about the fear of God, it's a term that encompasses awe and respect and adoration, honor, worship, confidence, thankfulness, and love. That is true. But it also encompasses fear. Not servile, cowering fear. Not a cowardly, withering fear. But it's the kind of fear that you might experience if you are standing at the edge of Niagara Falls, The kind of fear that the power you are seeing, the power you are experiencing is worthy of your utmost attention because to disregard it would have unimaginable consequences. I am fully convinced that the fear we hold in our hearts, the fear to do the right thing, the fear to say what needs to be said, the fear to stand up for what's right, despite the consequences, all of those fears would melt away if we would humble ourselves, take off our shoes, and stand in the presence of the Almighty God. God is saying to Moses, if you fear me, you don't have to fear anybody else. If you really grasp the awesomeness and the power of me, then the fear that you have for others is just so small by comparison. I want to get personal for a moment and then I'm going to close. This is is the truth. When I saw the events unfold on January 6th, I felt a number of feelings. But one of the feelings that I had was a sense of guilt and conviction in my own heart. And here's why I felt those feelings. Because I saw this crisis coming months ago and was concerned about it even years ago. Not this particular expression of it, but something like this. I've watched the anger boil up. I've seen the lies and the conspiracy theories being circulated in Christian circles. I've read the news. I have a Twitter account. I, I've, I can see what's going on. And I've had ample opportunity to speak out about this ample opportunity to boldly proclaim the truth and to stand up for what's right but the reality is fear has held me back as a pastor fear of the retribution of my enemies fear of the rejection of my friends and fear of the reaction of strangers fear that i would seem too political in the pulpit fear that i was that i would be viewed as taking sides in a political dispute Fear that I would be misunderstood, fear that I would hurt people's feelings, fear that I would offend, fear that I would come off as a preacher with a political axe to grind. In other words, fear about the consequences to me. So here's what I want to do today. I want to repent before God as your pastor. I repent for not proclaiming the truth more clearly, more boldly, and more plainly. I repent for fearing man more than fearing God. Back in the old timey churches when a preacher would try to soft-shoe around a subject and try to smooth things over without speaking out clearly, an old saint in the congregation might say to him, make it plain, preacher, make it plain. As your pastor, I, wanna, I want you to know that I'm going to do my best to make it plain. One person said it like this, when there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pew. God calls his church to be a light in the culture, to speak the truth irrespective of the consequences. Sometimes that will offend the sensibilities of those on the right. Sometimes that will offend the sensibilities of those on the left. Sometimes that will offend the sensibilities of those in the center. But as Pastor Derwin Gray from South Carolina would say, we are not a party of the donkey, and we are not a party of the elephant. We are a party of the lamb. And... What I notice about Jesus, the Lamb of God, is that Jesus was an equal opportunity offender. For Jesus, what was good for the goose is good for the gander. If Jesus' teachings do not offend you, you are not reading them closely enough. I read his words, and I am offended every time I read them because he is speaking the purity of God's truth, and my soul has not reached the purity of God's truth. God is wanting to burn away the fears that we have about everything else by implanting in our hearts and minds the fear, the reverence, the awe, and the respect that is due Almighty God. So I ask you today, Whom do you fear? Here's here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that if you'll embrace the fear of God, it will override the fear of man. I know that God in this story... The story of the burning bush is trying to do something powerful in the heart of Moses in order to empower Moses, to give him the courage to walk out the mission, the purpose, the plan, the promise that he has for him. But he's going to have to burn away some of the fear by exposing his great power and his great might by the flames of the burning bush shining brightly, burning brightly in the heart of Moses. He wants to do the same for you. He wants to burn away any impurity, any idolatry, any misplaced fear, any misplaced anxiety, worry, or dread. He wants wants to do that by bringing you close enough to the fire of his love and the fire of his power that you can feel the heat. He wants you to take off your shoes. In other words, make yourself humble, make yourself vulnerable to him. And he wants to say to you, I am the God of your father." the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and I will be with you. He wants you to walk boldly in his power. He wants you to walk humbly in his presence. He wants you to walk confidently in his might. He wants you to face the Pharaohs and the friends and the strangers in your life and to not tremble before them because you know there's a God whose flame burns brighter than the fiery darts of the enemy. And that God is calling your name. If you're here today and you have not taken a step close to the fire, and something about this sermon, the word of God has reached your heart and you say, I want to follow that God. I want to serve that God. I want to I encourage you to just take a moment and fill out a connection card. It'll be in the, in the chat and down in the description under the video. Let us know. We want you to come closer to God. We want the fear of God to strengthen you and empower you and give you life everlasting. If you're here today and perhaps you want to take a step and draw closer into the body of Christ where we are all pursuing Him together, I'm offering step three today. Step three is our discovery session that we're going to offer at 1045. 10:45. There's a Zoom link uh, right in the chat. And down under the description, we're going to learn about how do we use the gifts that God has given us and and boldly proclaim his His truth and his gospel and walk in faith and serve other people. If you want to learn about how to lead a life group, we can can teach you that today. We can train you on that today. If you want to take that step, any step that you can take closer to the fire of God's presence, we want you to take that step today. That, That session is being held at 1045. There's a Zoom link in the chat and in the description. We encourage you, we invite you to take that step today. If you want to be a part of what we're doing, not only here in our church, but around the city and around the world, you want to partner with us financially, we invite you to do that today. You can give, there's a link on the, uh, on the chat. There's a link here. You can do it on our website, recurring gift or one-time gift. And I want to invite everybody, everybody who is ready to take a step And draw closer to Jesus and allow Jesus' strength and power to burn away the fear that you have in life. I want to invite you to take the bread and the cup. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, Take and eat. This is my body that's broken for you. And then he poured out the cup and he said, Drink. This is the blood of my covenant. As being poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Join me in Next Steps at 1045. Join us in Life Group Training at 1045. We love you. We praise God for you. We're going to be praying for you this week, and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless.